Welcome to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast, and I'm your host, Derek L. Calhoun. KIP, for short, brings you an exclusive look at the nature of humanity as we interface with culture and society in and out of our relationship with God. It explores the unique and contrasting position of having a biblical worldview versus a secular or societal worldview. I will explore these topics using the powerful and dynamic tools of the didactic narrative, teaching a relevant truth through storytelling, biblical exposition, teaching Bible principles, and of course, real talk. My background scans a diversity of over 35 years of work in education, government, law, ministry, business development, and consulting, respectively. Each guest speaker will bring a variety of wisdom and insight to life topics and situations that we encounter on a daily basis. So all I need you to do now as listeners is to sit back and enjoy the podcast, spread the word about KIPP, the Kingdom Influencing Podcast, and I will be your host, Derek L. Calhoun. That's hashtag KIP, hashtag KIP. Help me to make KIP your favorite Friday podcast. Now, let's get started. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of the Kingdom Influencing Podcast. Listen, I want to thank all of the Kingdom Influencers out there who are listening from all over the world, over 18 different countries and the United States. Thank you for being part of the Kingdom Influencing Nations. And I thank you for sharing this podcast with your family, your friends, and everyone who's in your sphere of influence. I thank you in advance. Listen, let's get right to it. Uh, As I was driving a few weeks ago, I was just talking with the Lord and the Lord impressed upon my heart to do a series called Get Your Head On Straight. Get Your Head On Straight. And I really believe the, the motive behind that is because so many people are influenced by other people uh, who don't necessarily have their best interests in mind. And they need to begin to think for themselves, to learn for themselves, and to become for themselves. There's a thing that uh, I learned uh, from my spiritual father, uh, Bishop McLaughlin, he say this, he called it the law of first truth. And literally he said the law of first, first truth is simply this, that the first thing people hear the first thing that people are exposed to, the first thing that comes into the psyche of a man usually remains in that individual. And then when he's exposed to, let's say, the truth um, and not some uh, derivative of the truth or hybrid of the truth, he has a very difficult time accepting it because these are the things that he heard first And it's hard to change or reprogram your mind to now say that what you learned is false. And this is new information that informs your old information and gives you a new paradigm to live by. I'll give you a story that we used to use uh, many, many years ago. There was a a woman who was cooking a roast. And and when she cooked the roast, uh, she would cut the front end of the roast off and the back end of the roast off. And so her granddaughter was watching her do that. And her granddaughter asked her, why did you cut the front end of the roast off and the back end of the roast? Because those were two 
good pieces of meat. And she said to the granddaughter, because my mother did it. And so she said, why don't you ask your great grandmother uh, why she did it? So she went to the great grandmother and she asked the same question. And the great grandmother, of course, said the same things because my mother did it. Um, and her mother was was old. She was feeble. Um, but she was still in her right mind, uh, sitting in a rocking chair. And so she asked her great, great grandmother. She says, great, great grandma, why did you cut off the front and the back part of the roast? And great, great grandmother said, because the pan was so small that we could afford at that time in history, uh, at that time in our lives, I would cut the front end off and the back end off so that I could fit the roast in the pan that we had for our family to eat. Well, four generations later, they were able to buy big enough pans so they didn't have to cut off the roast. But the tradition, the law first truth, was still being perpetrated by the granddaughter's granddaughter because of what she heard and what she saw. So in life, people do the same thing. Now, this is really, really precarious because of the life that we live today. Let's look at the life we live today. We live in the information age. And from the 1970s until now, they call it the information age. Although they were beginning the process of the information age at the end of the industrial age in the late 1950s, early 50s, it's just the 50s period. They were developing the language for computers, uh, Fortran and COBOL. Matter of fact, when I was a freshman at Howard University, uh, I was supposed to be, uh, you notice what I said, I was supposed to be studying Fortran and Cobalt, but I had this implicit bias. In 1978, when the first computer came out to our classrooms and we collected box tops to get this computer, it was a Macintosh, the forerunner to Apple. The only people that went into the room to operate that computer uh, were, were the people that we considered nerds. And so we developed an affinity bias. Affinity bias is, you know, putting people in select groups based on things that are common to your group. And so uh, we were in the cool group. And so because we were in the cool group, we didn't want to have any association with computers because we felt the nerds were doing it. Of course, the nerds are Steve Jobs and all of those guys and Bill Gates. They're all multi-billionaires and uh, the late Steve Jobs. But uh, that's neither here nor there. But you get the drift. The, the point of the matter is the information age changed everything. Our banking systems changed. Our insurance systems changed. Our investment systems, communication systems. We're able to do everything online using something we call the Internet. Uh, digital platforms were developed. And, and before that, well, one of the first digital platforms was AOL. That was uh, before Gmail, before Yahoo, uh, and before whatever other kind of mail that you can think of. It was AOL. You got mail. Uh, well, this system revolutionized the way that we communicated with people around the world. Whereas we used to have to put a stamp on something, go to the post office, and mail it. And if it was going to China, it might take a week, week and a half before the recipient received it in China or in some other part of the world. Whereas now you can type information, type your letter, type it 
uh, send it in a uh, electronic digital form. It goes around the world in less than five minutes. I don't care what part of the world it is. I don't care how remote it is. If they have computer access, they have the information that you wrote in that letter. So times have tremendously changed. Today, uh, people are using Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and TikTok and Periscope and all of these different digital platforms to inform their lifestyle. And on these particular platforms, people are getting information, some real, some fake, some real news, some false news. They're getting uh, information that some of it is laced with explicit bias. Uh, that's uh, a bias that people create in their minds that they actually do intentionally. It is not unconscious, it is conscious bias. See, implicit bias is an unconscious bias, all right? But explicit bias means that we are doing it intentionally. I hate people intentionally because that's the way I believe that, that was my law of first truth, that I come against particular ethnic groups and I've developed a system of bigotry or a system of stereotyping based on the neighborhood I grew up in and the way my parents or my grandparents indoctrinated me. So you have all of these biases and we have to be very, very careful about bias because it informs our thinking. It informs the way we deal with people. A matter of fact, in social psychology, we need to understand this, that the study of social psychology reveals that every day when we interact with people, whether we interact as a group or we interact as an individual, the point of the matter is that interface exchanges information and that influence, listen, influence is either negative or positive. And so every day, either through uh, nonverbal communication or verbal communication, we are influencing people and we need to make sure that we're influencing them the right way. We also need to make sure that we're being influenced the right way. We need to be able to sift through the information that's coming through our minds and coming from other individuals and determine the basis or the foundation for that information, whether it be good, whether it be bad, or whether it has some uh, inconsequential uh, basis to it. So then, uh, watch this. I talked about how the internet can be good, you know, and even in this pandemic, we, we went to school, we went to college, we went to church using the internet. Uh, we were shopping on the internet like never before. We're making Jeff Bezos one of the richest men in the world. But the computer also has the power to impact society negatively because you have voices. You have people who are talking and people are talking from, watch this, implicit bias, explicit bias, inherent bias. They're, they're being informed by their subconscious. They're being informed by their experiences. They're being informed by their background. They're being informed by how they were raised. And they're passing that information to us through the internet. And we need to be very careful what we are listening to. There's news and then there's fake news. There's truth and then there's lies. There's uh, information that is up, up, uplifting and upbuilding, and then there's information that is deceitful on purpose, all right? So remember this, life can be destroyed with one click of the button. One click of the button, one click can destroy our lives. And, and we learned that uh, first through 1983 war games with Matthew Broderick. Uh, he developed a video game that 
wind up tapping into the Pentagon and, of course, was able to cause a world war. Uh, that was so much a reality for the people of the government at that time that Reagan enacted the first U.S. federal internet policy because of the outcome of that movie. And then we went on. In 1995, Sandra Bullock and the net, you know, she lost our identity. It was stolen through the, the Internet. Uh, Will Smith, 1998, enemy of the state, being controlled and manipulated by artificial intelligence. Uh, and the same thing with Eagle Eye with Shia LaBeouf, uh, 2008, uh, where his life was turned upside down because of computer information. And, and our lives are being turned up down, upside down every day because of things we're hearing and listening to. And we have to determine where they're getting this information from. Now, I want to talk particularly about the church, but I want to give you some information that you need to realize in order to make proper decisions and in order to understand how critical this topic is. According to Forbes magazine, the human brain unconsciously, listen to me, unconsciously processes 11 million pieces of information per second compared to just 40 pieces of information on the conscious mind. So there's a literal window of information background plugged behind our conscious mind that's helping us to make decisions about our everyday life. And we call this information sometimes implicit bias. What is implicit bias? It is prejudice that is turned into action that is unconscious. We formulate prejudice. We formulate opinions. We formulate judgments about people using implicit bias. Watch this. Implicit bias constantly affects our actions. Informed by our experiences, backgrounds, and values, these biases are crucial in helping our minds quickly and efficiently navigate the world around us. But often, these biases can be informed by harmful and inaccurate stereotypes. We all have stereotypes. Some of you think all Jews are rich. Uh, or some of you think all Jews are stingy. Some of you think all blacks come from the he from the ghetto. Some of you think all whites have, are privileged. Some of you think that uh, all Indians drink alcohol. I, I mean, these that all Hispanics wear bright colors. I mean, there there's a ton of implied biases uh, or implicit biases that run through our system every day, and we need to be cognizant of them. And we need to be aware of how harmful they can be in dealing with other people. All right. The effect is individuals can be discriminated against, uh, harming workplace equality, opportunities, culture, productivity uh, in the church, in the military, uh, in the workplace, uh, in our homes, in the institutions of our homes. These biases can really wreak havoc, whether they're imp implicit Explicit or even inherent bias. Well, explicit biases are biases that come because we consciously have received the prejudice and we constantly, uh, uh, intentionally make sure that we deal with people based on that prejudice. Okay? That's explicit bias. So we hate people because we were taught to hate people. And whenever we come into that particular ethnic group, we treat them a certain way. Okay? Inherent bias. The effect of underlying factors or assumptions that skew viewpoints or subjects under discussion. So no matter what bias we use, 
uh, whether it's affinity bias or halo bias. I can go into the definitions of all the different types of biases. The point of the matter is it can have a negative impact on the people that we meet on a daily basis, all right? Or cause us never to meet people because we've already have an implicit bias about who they are, what they're like, and where they come from, and that we actually have nothing in common, when in actually we have the world in common. As a matter of fact, you never know who you're dealing with. And so we need to be prepared never to judge a book by its cover. That's one of the old adages that my mother taught me when I was a child over 40-something years ago. So listen to this. Um, this is why I call this message Secondhand Christianity. If I haven't given you the title, this is the title. Secondhand Christianity because a lot of people in the world today have inherent biases against the church against Christians based on what other people said or based on a news clip or based on the moral failure of a pastor. Sometimes pastors fail, but pastors are human. All humans are subject to fail. Therefore, a pastor is human and therefore has the ability to fail. Christian or not Christian, all humans make mistakes. And we need to be clear on that. If you become a Christian, it does not mean, watch this, that you're going to be perfect. There's no one perfect. As a matter of fact, the scripture implores us to understand that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, that no one is righteous. No, not one. So there was only one sinless person to ever walk the earth, and his name was Jesus. And he died taking on all of the pains and all of the negative attributes and all of the disease and all of the pain and the hatred and the racism and stereotypes and bigotry. He died taking all of the demonic forces onto himself and then he lived. He was resurrected on the third day so that we could have a right to eternal life. That is the very basic essence of Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, and we need to understand that. So many people have secondhand information. I call them secondhand Christians. You don't really have an information because you read the Bible for yourself, or you prayed for yourself, or you spent time really developing a relationship with God for yourself. But behind people who may be bitter, who may be discontented, who may have an implicit bias against the church or an inherent bias against the church or an explicit bias against the church. You don't know until you really get to know why they're saying what they're saying. So you can't listen to the internet and let that be the source of all of your information concerning the church. You need to gather enough information that you personally spend time gathering in order to understand who Christians really are. For example, today in today's society, people think that Christians, all Christians hate people who are in the uh, LBGTQ community. Uh, that's not true. That's not true. As a matter of fact, we love all people and we're supposed to love all people, but we also understand that we love God and God explicitly tells us that there's certain things that humans do that impact our reality uh, that are sinful 
or against the will of God. That's all sin is. Things that humans do that are against the will of God. So in loving God, we need to try to submit ourselves to God so that we live a life as close to the life he wants us to live as possible. But listen, everyone in humanity sins, and we talked about that earlier. So here's the caveat. The caveat is we love people, but we don't embrace what each of us does. There's certain things that we all do that goes against the grain of God's will for our life. And it's just that simple. But hating people is not an attribute of Christianity. All right. So that's just another example of uh, implicit bias that we receive or the law of first truth that we receive because somebody told you that. Well, I've been a believer for over 40 something years, uh, 50, uh, yeah, 40 something years. And I'm telling you, that's not the basis of true Christianity. All right. And so we don't need to formulate our Christianity based on peer pressure, based on moral failure, because we see pastors fail. Right. Yeah, sure we do. But there are hundreds of thousands of pastors that have not fallen and that are still serving and loving their people every day. You see the preachers of L.A. or Atlanta or these uh, television shows and it shows a few preachers making a lot of money. That is less than one percent of the preachers that I know. Most pastors do not live in mansions. They do not drive uh, high-end uh, cars. And, and I'm talking about Rolls Royces and, and that type of thing. Uh, most pastors live regular lives and are consumed with the daily responsibilities of taking care of their flock. That's the, the general nature of the church. Okay? So you can't just watch that and say, that's why I don't like pastors or that's why I don't like church. Because the bottom line is, what does that have to do with God? Okay. All right. So um, let's talk about this as we prepare to close today, because the church is being deconstructed through the Internet, uh, through implicit and explicit biases. Um, people think the church is a degenerate institution of people that are in moral decline. Uh, yes, people are struggling with issues, but people are also being delivered from issues. People are also growing from issues. Yes, there are good people in the church, and yes, there are bad people in the church, but that's why it's called the church, all right? Everybody in the church can't be good because there are people in the church that need to be transformed, and there are people in the church that have already been transformed. But the bottom line is everybody in the church is in the process of being transformed. So you will not find perfection in the church. You'll only find perfection in God himself. So don't be led astray or don't misunderstand who the church is. The church is not a building. It is people. And we talked about this. So I'm going to read you this little scripture here. And we're going to close out. Um, just two verses. Well, no, 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 three verses. All right. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him, Jesus, because of the word of the woman who testified. So here's a woman, a woman at the well. Uh, it comes from uh, John, uh, St. John chapter 4, uh, verse uh, 39. Uh, but Jesus met her in the beginning of St. John chapter 4. And, of course, the Jews, Jesus being a Jew, and the Samaritan, the woman being a Samaritan, were not supposed to be associated with each other. At least that's what she heard. She had a particular prejudice a stereotype against Jews okay but then she meets Jesus and finds out that all Jews aren't like that and a matter of fact finds out that Jesus is is come in the middle of the day just to see her just to help her just to speak life 
into her, into her life. All right. So uh, she goes back to the city, tells everybody about Jesus. She tells them, but people had to come and meet Jesus for themselves. This is the crux of the issue. I don't want you to be a secondhand Christian just based on what somebody said, but I want you to meet Jesus for yourself. So, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word uh, of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Watch this. Listen again. And many more believed because of his own word. They actually met Jesus. They actually heard Jesus. And then they believed. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Kingdom Influencing Podcast. Uh, I'll be with you every week. We have new episodes every week. We're on demand 24-7. You can listen to this broadcast anytime you like to on any of the platforms, Amazon, Audible, iTunes, uh, Apple, uh, Spotify, Podbean, and there are a host of others. But uh, I enjoy your weekly company, your weekly presence, and I hope that you are being blessed by this podcast. Well, I'll see you next week, or at least you'll hear from me next week. God bless. Have a supernaturally blessed encounter as you go to meet the Lord for yourself. God bless.